The internet provided the ability to form geek communities in small, geographically diverse locations. Hello and welcome to this episode of Game On Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. In this episode, we'll be talking to Susanna Polo, managing editor of The Mary Sue. And in Gender Cells, we'll talk about horses, tipping, and booth babes. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. Today we welcome Susanna Polo, Managing Editor of The Mary Sue, to the show. Susanna is a New Jersey-grown Oberlin College alum, off-again, on-again amateur musician, and a writer of fiction, amongst other things. We're so glad you're here with us today on the show, Susanna. Hi, guys. Hey. It's pretty good good to be here. (laughs) I didn't even have to leave my apartment. I know. (laughs) I love this. I'm sitting in my pajamas right now. If we go to video, I'm going to have to look nice from the waist up. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, thought, I've often thought about that. Well, if we do change to video at some point, I'm like, oh, there will be makeup and there will yeah. be clothing that has to be put on. And like, and like real pants. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I have to say that I was uh, really thrilled to run into um, Susanna at the Comic Book City Con in Greensboro. I was very surprised. Um, because Regina and I had uh, listened to you talk on a panel at uh, PAX East last year. Right. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I don't remember whether we ever had a chance to actually meet you there or not, but then when I saw you again at in Greensboro, I was like, oh, this is great. Maybe I can get a better chance to get in touch. And Susanna was very nice. And Aww. now she's here with us today. Yay. <laughs> well, the, the Mary Sue is one of my all-time favorite websites. So. Aww. I'm, it's a particular honor <laughs> for me to have you here with us oh, today, because I've been following you guys for a while, and um, I often share your uh, articles and point uh, my feminist students in your in your general directions. So oh man, of what you're doing? So oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> yep. as, as somebody who um, has uh, never taken a gender and women's studies course, um, although there are some people who would argue that going to Oberlin is gender and women's studies. Just Already. in general. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's very cool. I'm always like definitely in awe of people who have that educational background. Cool. Uh, which I, I'm sure like confuses some people. So uh, what was your major in then at Oberlin? I majored in creative writing. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I decided in high school that I wanted to write comic books. Uh, ah. And uh, it took me until like halfway through college to be able to like say that out loud without feeling embarrassed about it. Oh. But yeah, that's that was I, I majored in creative writing with a minor in English, expected to kind of being like work a deadbeat job until <laughs> I could get fiction published um, and instead sort of lucked into a really awesome job that takes up all of my time and <laughs> I don't have any published fiction. Um, but, uh, you know, that's in the future. That's, you know. That's the the mountain to slowly climb. Right. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's time. Yeah. (laughs) There's time to work on that. And and that's funny because it's it's sort of the exact opposite. Well, kind of like my story, too, because I I thought I was going to be a creative writer as well. And when I went to college and I learned about like theoretical writing and academic writing and I started doing that more, I had a real talent for it. And I had never, you know, I always thought I was going to write 
novels and short stories and poetry. Yeah. And um, and then all of a sudden, I, I just kind of went in this direction. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a PhD. So <laughs> <laughs> I still have that nag- that nagging in the back of my head that maybe someday I'll write a, I'll write a novel too. So maybe that's part of why I'm saying, oh, this, there's plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I write all the documentation that nobody reads. Technical <laughs> writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Troubleshooting. Yeah, yeah. Well, but they're important to have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always important to have. Well, how long have you been at the Mary Sue, and uh, what occupies your time there? I was the founding editor on the Mary Sue, um, along with Jamie Frevely, who was my um, under-editor or assistant editor at the time. I've been around since the beginning of the Mary Sue, and we're turning four in February. Wow. Awesome. And before that, I worked for a year on another blog in our network called Geekosystem. Mm-hmm. What I do in the Mary Sue is when I'm on the site and working, which is five days a week, um, and then we have we just got a weekend editor so that my other two editors, Jill and Rebecca, don't have to work weekends anymore. But when I'm on, I'm the person who's usually deciding what posts we're doing. Um, I work with a lot of our contributors. I... Uh, work with the folks who are above us in our company because we're a blog network so we have a president and we have an editor who's in charge of all the sites and we have an ad team and a development team Um, and so I also work with all of those groups and uh, when we were um, launching the Mary Sue I had the final word on you know sort of working out what the design of it would be and figuring out what our areas of content to cover and uh, and I also run our Tumblr we all sort of the three of us, and now the four of us with Janelle, our weekend editor, um, we run our Twitter and we run the Facebook and, you know, we do stuff on Google Plus, you know, all that stuff, all that social media jazz. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Regina handles that for us. Yeah. So what was the impetus for the Mary Sue? Back when Geekosystem launched, which is the website I was working on before the Mary Sue came to be. Uh, I was there when Geekosystem launched as well, and it was just me and my editor, Robert Quigley, um, working on sort of an all, as many geek subjects as we could cover in one website. And I was brought on as an intern for that, uh, moved up to assistant editor. Probably six to nine months into after Geekosystem launched, um, I was approached by um, Dan Abrams, who uh, is the founder of the company that our network, uh, we're the Abrams Media Network, and he's the founder. And... Um, he told me that he thought that there was this underserved niche of um, women who were into stuff that was considered to be classically geeky or nerdy, and that there wasn't really a lot out there that was talking directly to them, hmm. and that he wanted to make a website that would do that, and he wanted me to run it. And initially, I was very apprehensive about the idea. I very much let my instinct was that, well, like, I mean women in the nerd world, like, we want to be part of it. Like, we don't, we want to play with the guys. Like, we don't want to have our own special space. We want to be... Right, with, you don't want to be like, separated or segregated. Yeah, well, well, yeah, well we actually want, and, and yeah. also, I was, just, I was just a bit apprehensive about it. And so I went home, and I called my best friend, uh, who has also written for this site a whole lot. Um, Zoe Shavat does, does a lot of our movie reviews, and she's written list posts for us, and she's very cool. And I called her up, and I explained to her what had happened. She explained to me that she said, well, if it really sounds like Dan wants to do this, 
And so if you say that you don't want to do it, he's probably going to do it anyway. And if someone is running that kind of enterprise in an office with you and you're not working on it, you're going to go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I paused for a moment and I said, you are absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did it. And I spent a lot of time thinking about how we could let people know immediately as soon as they hit the homepage that, that we weren't some frilly, stereotypically feminine sort of place that we were going to send all the geek women. Right, the, the let's make your console pink kind of idea. To be a general nerd news site that focuses on talking about the female perspective and things that are just frankly more important and more instantly a focal point for female geeks than they are generally for male geeks. Like, I always love finding out things like um, how the very first Star Trek conventions were put together and organized by a woman. No, I don't think I knew that. That's all. Yeah, and, and yeah, there are all these kind of sort of like crazy, like, and just the forgotten female creators of like comics in the 1950s and women who worked behind the scenes at DC and Marvel, you know, decades before anybody thought to go, well, you know, like, why are there so many male superheroes and why can't we get, you know, more female superheroes? Mm-hmm. And there, there are a lot of things in the, in the nerd world that it's sort of like, oh, well, no, this is like, like, it's, it's not that women are just now discovering comics or just now discovering video games. It's that they've kind of been there all along, but we just haven't really talked about them. Mm-hmm. And they just haven't really been part of the conversation and part of what we remember about them. So part of what you were hoping that Mary Sue was going to do was shine a light on some of those roles that women had had in geek culture that had never really been seen. That's awesome. Yeah, to do that and talk about women in science and talk about Mm -hmm. women in military, I wanted to have sort of an extra here and there focus on um, just women doing things in male-dominated fields. Mm -hmm. I find it really interesting to talk about women in the military, particularly in the U.S. over the past couple of years, because we've been slowly reaching points where women are now, like, the, all the armed forces are now required to evaluate placing women in combat units. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I always write posts about those, even though they are not, like, huge traffic gets, because I'm just like, this is important. Yeah, and it's, it's not the kind of thing that people think about. Yeah, you know, it's 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 easy to kind of overlook it because we, you know, unless you're directly involved with the military in some way, or you have a friend or family member, yeah, it's, it's not something that might pop on your radar. And so to have a site like the Mary Sue that carries so much sort of strength with pop culture, you know, I think it's really great to kind of put that in there every now and then, you know, kind of like, oh, hey, we should look at this too. <laughs> you know? I, I hope so. With women being put into combat um, units in the American Armed Forces, I really wonder how some of the um, uh, military shooter video games who pr- that pride themselves on being very um, accurate mm-hmm. will finally, how, how quickly they will respond to that. Oh, let's hope so. Because I would really love to have some female options in some of those games. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I I can't. It's it's so bad. I never play any of those. So I can't name like I don't. I wouldn't know a Call of Duty screenshot from a Medal of Honor screenshot. Yeah, like they're all, they're all pretty much the same to me. Um, yeah, I'm very much in the same in the same boat. I have a handful of first person shooters that I enjoy playing, but most of them are not the military themed games. Well, do you have any any theories about why these focal points or these different aspects of geek culture where women have been involved, why 
they have not been part of the conversation before. Um, you know, women's involvement in comic books and, and, and involvement in all these different geeky areas. Um, why has it been so quiet, do you think? Well, I actually, um, I tend to get asked this question pretty often, um, is that whether we're really paying more attention to women, whether the reason why we're paying more attention and hearing more about women in nerd and geek spaces these days is because there are more of them or because we're talking about them more. Right. And to me, like, I, I get little indications here and there. Well, to give one example, um, the conversation about women on the creator end of mainstream uh, American comic books um, at DC and Marvel really came back with a vengeance when DC announced their new 52 initiative and there are only two women on the creator side. Mm. Um, and that they announced the new 52 um, within a year after the Mary Sue launching. I think maybe even within six months. And so a lot of that stuff, it's very difficult for me to tell whether I'm more aware of it because people are talking about it more, or I'm more aware of it because I coincidentally happened to start writing a blog and researching for a blog and paying attention to all of these topics so that I would have material for a blog. But there are, I do have some solid indications that it's not just confirmation bias on my part. A couple of years ago at New York Comic Con, uh, New York Comic Con 2012, I had a chance to talk to some folks from ThinkGeek, and they were really interested in talking to me about the Mary Sue and our audience um, because they had found that over the past couple of years, the demographics of the people who bought from them were changing in a very noticeable way. Hmm. Uh, their demographic had always skewed male, and they, but they'd seen and they'd always seen spikes of female buyers around Christmas and before Father's Day. Mm, right, right. Looking for the the men in their lives. But over mm-hmm. the past couple of years, they had started noticing more and more women buying stuff from Think Geek. That they'd been able to produce more T-shirts in ladies' sizes. That they had put out some. Ju- they were able to put out jewelry that sold really well. That they'd even put out some makeup sets that had sold out immediately. Mm-hmm. And that Nat- and they were really interested in sort of capitalizing on that and paying attention to that and making sure that they were providing for this new audience that they had. I think the thing that is really sort of gunning all of this conversation is ultimately the the internet. The, what the internet gave us was an ability to form communities no matter how small and geographically dispersed they were, mm-hmm. which has allowed a lot of nerd communities to get together. There's a lot more ways for women to realize that they're not the only chick who likes comics, you know, or the only chick who plays video games, or the only, you know, the only black kid, or the only, the only kid with muscular dystrophy, you know, who rides a scooter around, who likes comics. And to find out that there are other folks out there like you, the internet is really great at doing that. Yeah, it, it does seem to be at once something that brings everybody together and um, sort of throws everybody in a melting pot of geekdom. So there's a little bit of everything everywhere. I wanted to go back. You mentioned that when you were um, originally talking about the concepts for the Mary Sue, that you wanted to concentrate on some focal points that were important or um, more noticeable for the female geeks versus the male geeks. 
Um, what type of focal points were those that you wanted to originally address in the Mary Sue? And are there any that you abandoned or any new ones that you picked up that you were Mm. surprised by? Well, I mean, we're always picking up new shows as we're sort of surprised by how, I think the most recent one was Sleepy Hollow that you could tell immediately that Tumblr had grabbed that Mm-hmm. And was like, this is ours. <laughs> yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, I don't, I don't want to generalize because we, we have a lot of male readers, and I have a lot of male friends who are super into the stuff that we talk about on the Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. Things that are just like a shoe in that we're absolutely going to talk about is, you know, like Wonder Woman casting news. It's ridiculous that we can have, you know, nine Batman actors, and Wonder Woman's first appearance in a feature theatrical film will be the Lego Movie. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and we talked about the New 52 all the time because it became such a, a story about female characters in uh, a major, you know, sort of in a major franchise universe um, in American culture. And uh, we always knew Harry Potter was going to be a big deal because that's a fandom that is very, it's very gender equitable. Mm-hmm. I love um, the the fight in um, real life Quidditch to keep gender equality in teams a part of the sport oh interesting yeah like that just like in the books it's a gender neutral sports they, they don't right. have girls quidditch teams and they don't have men's quidditch teams. right yeah it's right. just everybody together it's how you know good yeah. you are at your position yeah i've always wanted to do more anime news than we do i tend to be our default anime expert not because i'm actually an anime expert but just because i've watched more of it than the other editors um and uh, so I've always, you know, I've always, you know, Sailor Moon is always big news on the Mary Sue. I've always wanted to talk about tabletop gaming um, because that's also another place where you can sort of pull out of structures that are in place, both in sort of like the classic fantasy setting, which is usually a male-dominated, Eurocentric sort of um, setting, and just sort of make... Yeah, because there's so much about um, tabletop gaming that is is creative and and about what kind of world do you want to play in mm-hmm. uh, that can make it so much different than say like playing a you know like video games have just you know we don't have the technology to do that yet seamlessly in video games and so we wind up getting um, what a male dominated industry believes is profitable um, for the most part. I knew we would be talking about superhero movies in general, but with a particular focus on talking about movies and how they treated their female characters, which is not always a a super big concern. I won't, I will try not to just talk about um, the Mary Sue in terms of things that, uh, in terms of dumb comments we've gotten, (laughs) but um, one of my favorite dumb comments on a movie review was um, somebody who's saying, you know, I know the Mary Sue is a site for female geeks, but you should really write your reviews for like everybody. Like it's meaning like we, this review shouldn't be so much about how Riddick was really sexist. Um, it should just be about whether or not the movie was good. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, if you're interested in that, here's this website called Google where you can go find another website. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, yeah. That, you know, the, the, another of the many websites that. Right. Because you know, that's every other site that's talking about movies. Yes, that won't exactly. spend, you know, that won't spend the, like half of their review talking about, okay, well, how were female characters handed, handled mm-hmm. in this movie, you know? Do you get comments like that a lot? Does does that happen on the Mary Sue? Very often? I mean, it's it's the internet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. And we get to, you know, curate the comments on the site. Um, so the answer is yes. <laughs> I knew I wanted to cover video games. I, I knew I wanted to cover um, costuming and cosplay. Internet communities like particularly, I mean, particularly we talk about Tumblr a lot because there's Tumblr is the fandom social network right now in a mm-hmm. way that sort of it's taken over from LiveJournal, which is not as popular any, you know, which is, is past its heyday, mm-hmm. uh, but used to, definitely used to be the place. Tumblr is just a very fascinating community right now. And it, you know, it has its, its highs and its lows. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that you've got, I believe, four editors. Do you, is, do you all do all the writing or have you got like um, con- we have a, a write yeah. contributors? Right, right now there's there's me, um, there's my co there's my co-editor Jill Pantosi, and there's Rebecca Palio. We are the three full-time employees on the Mary Sue, and we most recently hired our weekend editor Janelle Asselin, and we all produce um, most of the content on the Mary Sue. We have a few contributors. Uh, we have our games reviewer Becky Chambers. And um, I'm not going to be able to name all of them. Um, oh no, that's fine. I was just yeah. curious whether who, how much, how yeah. much content, um, you know, how many people were contributed to the content. There's mm-hmm. there's more besides just the three of you, which I think yeah. makes a, a much much richer site. Yeah, but we're like the three of us are, and and now Janelle on the weekends are producing the vast majority of the content on the yeah. site. Uh, most of my, I think all of my contributors contribute um, at most once a week, and uh, and that's you know like one post a week out of we do sixteen a weekday. Um, is wow. uh, yeah, so it's a big you know that's it's a lot of content. People ask me, I get the question a lot. That is, what do you do in your workday? Mm-hmm. Which is a question that I totally understand because to be fair, uh, my job is one that has only existed for about a decade. Mm-hmm. like a decade if we're being generous mm-hmm. and everybody really kind of knows what like a writer does all day they know what a lawyer does all day they know what a doctor does all day they know what a receptionist does all day because those are all things that we've seen on television shows like we all <laughs> we could all name a character from a television show who does any of those jobs uh, but people don't really know what a blogger does and so I sort of have to explain to people I said well you know like when I do the morning shift I have until 9 30 to find, write, and publish our first post for the day. And then I have until 10.15 to find, write, and publish our 10.15 post for the day. And at about 10, everybody else who's working that day comes in. And we have until 11 to find, write, and publish our 11 o'clock post for that day. Um, okay, I'm getting heart palpitations. Yeah, I know, <laughs> me too. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's sort of what our day is like. And around about maybe 4, 3.30 if we're lucky, 4, we can start sort of, we, we can like find time for lunch in the middle of the day and then sort of have, I, I usually I'm, consider myself very lucky to have a half an hour or 45 minutes to check my email because the rest of the day in between doing all those posts we're making sure the social media is okay we're like maybe having a meeting we're you know grabbing some a bite to eat we're engaging in small talk with our coworkers about how how agents of shield went the night before um you know things like that well that's you know that's work related (laughs) yeah 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 there was the time that um somebody sent us a box of superhero themed dildos Um, oh that 
that slowed down the work day. I bet it did. Only a month. Wow. Yeah, we gave we gave some of those away at our New York Comic Con party. Uh, <laughs> Were they fans? Uh, the people who sent us the dildos, or the people who who? The, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm pretty sure they were. I think we <laughs> we did a post of someone who had um, somebody had created Photoshop mockups of sex toys for each of the Avengers. Um, they weren't real, but they had like altered the colors and like given them nice descriptions of why they matched those characters, and then so. This um, company sent us a box of um, they they weren't actually paired with real soup. They were like off brand superheroes because they <laughs> couldn't get the licenses. But you could right. tell like okay, this is this is the Spider Man one. Like this is the Batman one. This is the Hulk one. Oh you know. my goodness. <laughs> that's kind of hilarious <laughs> yeah. no the fun the funniest thing about it is that um, we have a bunch of blogs in our network and so there's like the two geek sites and there's a sports site and a fashion site and uh, a cooking site and uh, uh, a women in, in comedy site and and so all of the women were on one side of the office checking out this <laughs> box of dildos and <laughs> All of the men were still sitting at their laptops, <laughs> trying to hide behind yeah, the screen. Like, like being like, "No, we're getting work done." <laughs> oh man! Well, you've you've brought up the new Fifty Two a couple of times. Yes. So I've got to ask you. Um, and I'm sorry because you guys are a gaming podcast, but comics are comics right. are my wheelhouse. We talk uh, about comics all the time. They're yeah. like my first, they're always my first go-to. Like sure. my good examples are always from comics. Mm-hmm. It's no problem. Wh- how many of the um, heroes from the New 52 are you reading? I'm only reading one of them. Oh, okay. Um, well, I I have to admit I struck a bunch of things off my pull list um, when uh, the creative team of Batwoman left the project. I might not have struck so many things off my pull list, but their editors decided to scrap their last two issues. Um, and that really disappointed me as someone who would someday like to write superhero comics. Like it really yeah. disappointed me, not from like a reader's point of view. I mean, yes, it disappointed me from a reader's point of view, but it also really seemed like a really jerk thing to do from a creator's point of view or, a, you know, a, a someday would like to be a creator's point of view. So right now I'm reading, um, I'm reading Gail Simone's books. Um, so I'm reading The Movement and Batgirl. Um, I'm reading Scott Snyder's Batman because it's like he's writing the best Batman comics that I have read since the 2000s. And um, then the last one that I'm reading is totally like a, I like this because of who I am and not necessarily because of the comic. <laughs> um, the last one I'm, I'm currently reading right now is World's Finest. Um, which is a a buddy comic about Hunt, Hel- uh, about Helena Wayne, so the Huntress and Power Girl, who in the New Fifty Two are the Supergirl and Robin of an alternate universe, who are trapped in the main DC, the main New Fifty Two universe, um, and they're just really some like really beautiful asides, and where where Huntress is um, the daughter of Bruce Wayne and Catwoman. Oh wow! <laughs> and and there's some really amazing asides where they the two of them are figuring out who their mentor figures are in this universe, and they're like not sure if they should approach them because they don't know what's changed, and everyone's younger in this universe, and mm. and um, 
and and Power Girl looks over Huntress's shoulder at like this descript at like they find out that like Batman has like four Robins in five years and like some of them are adopted <laughs> and one of them his 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 kid with Talia um and 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 they're they're looking at it and and Supergirl and Power Girl goes I thought Robin had to be trained from birth. <laughs> and, and Huntress goes, "Yeah, this isn't my dad." Like she's throwing shade yeah. all over, <laughs> like like Dick Grayson and Tim Drake and like Alan, all of the Robins because she was trained from birth mm. by Batman right. to be Robin. Um, and then then so there are there are also really cute bits in it. So it's it, the, the the thing about it that I really like is that it is um, friendship between two women. Yeah, which is not a thing that you see a lot. Um, yeah, recently no. uncommon, yeah, and, and particularly particularly in action media, mm-hmm. um, you don't get to see it a lot. And and also because, like, to be fair, I wanted to be Batman's daughter from like the age of eleven <laughs> until like probably at least eighteen. Yeah. So there's there's some aspects of it that are like really really pure mm-hmm. wish fulfillment, pure, <laughs> like, hero worship kind of stuff. But I mean, that's what you know. It's good that there are comics out there for yeah you know, exactly. that, that do that that do that for for girls and women. There should be more of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I'm, it's true. I, I'm also I'm experimenting with reading the first few issues of um their, the new Harlequin series, which I am enjoying. Oh really? Yes, which is sort of like cute and goofy so far. But it's only it's only they had a zero issue and a first issue, and then number two came out this week, and I haven't read it yet. Although I have read a little bit of The Wake, which is Scott Snyder's um, Vertigo comic right now. But other than that, I'm reading I'm reading Red Sonia. I'm reading some Marvel titles. Yeah, I love Captain Marvel. Yeah, I'm reading Captain Marvel. Um, I'm really looking forward to She-Hulk getting her own title again. Um, because I, I loved Dan Slott's, um, She-Hulk series, Single Green Female. Um, (laughs) it just like all, all of the things that I like, you know, were in that. Well, you, you've got a really good history, a really good background in the comic book industry. Do you see an improvement of, um, in women's stories in comic books? In comics, it's always sort of um, you have to be very specific because the the indie scene for comics is much. It's not, you know, it's not perfect, but it is much more gender and racially diverse than um, DC and Marvel and even you know some of the yeah. top sort of big folks. Marvel is doing some really interesting stuff. You know, they're not they're not being the ideal, but they're really stepping up to the plate in a way that DC is dropping the ball. I say that as somebody who will probably never not be reading a Batman comic of some kind. Right. That's not entirely true. Unless they had literally no one writing Batman who I liked. (laughs) (laughs) Which, considering the number of Batman titles that they have, is not likely to happen. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I was really unhappy with the way they interpreted their apparent ban on superheroes getting married. that, That has to extend to... A gay couple, like I've written several posts about about how that does not mean the same thing. Marriage does not mean the same thing in the straight community as it does in the gay community. And to say that it means the same thing, that that band means the same thing when applied to gay characters as to straight characters is really just incredibly wrong. Um, How is it different? Well, the the my big thing about it is that I've talked about this in in a bunch of posts and the way I put it is. Um, I talk about my 
Classics 101 course in college where we were studying um, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And the way my professor laid out the difference between comedy and tragedy is that tragic heroes are there. He said, Achilles is an astronaut. And he said, you are all too young to understand this reference, but Achilles is an astronaut. When people were landing on the moon and we were sending people into space and we were going to another planetary body, those were heroes in the classical sense that what a hero, what a tragic hero is, is the point of tragic heroes is to cross boundaries so that we know where they are. The point of a tragic hero is to say, don't kill your parents. <laughs> Don't let your allow your enemies to have proper burial rites, which is like the cornerstone of how everything goes poorly in the Iliad is <laughs> being a jerk. And you know, you know, don't kill your children so that the gods will stop the storm so you can go fight at Troy. Like don't right. do that. Mm-hmm. And that the point of comedic heroes like Odysseus is to cross boundaries so that we know that they can be crossed hmm. is that to go to the underworld and come back and come back. Right. You know, right. to to do these amazing things and get away with it. Mm-hmm. So, comic book superheroes are I mean, as much as we like to talk about how they're grittier now and they're depressing now and whatever, but they're fundamentally comedic heroes, not tragic ones. You don't need to have superpowers as a straight person in most parts of America to get married. You don't need to have divine intervention. You don't need to have any kind of like strange circumstance. But you do if you are gay in a lot of parts of America. And there's an incredible value in showing communities that are experiencing widespread discrimination from both, you know, legally and non-legally, that you can come from that background and not just like, you know, it's not like, you know, the Batwoman is just a lesbian who is a superhero and is not one of Batman's sidekicks, but looks at him and and doesn't go, I want to work. She looks at my favorite thing about Batwoman is that she looks at Batman and doesn't go, I want to work with that guy. She goes, I want to do what he does. Right. She, says, she doesn't say, I want to learn from him. She says, I can do that. Right. It's, it's I, a self-empowerment from within her. Yeah, yeah. So much of the media that we have about gay relationships ends in tragedy. So much more, so important to show gay characters being happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like having, having strong, normal, healthy relationships, it doesn't mean the same thing to say that to say, okay, well, Superman can't be married to Lois Lane anymore, as it does to say you are not allowed to show Batwoman having a happy relationship. Yeah, you know? I keep, I guess you're talking about this, I keep thinking about one of my favorite, all-time favorite shows is Buffy. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the characters of Willow and Tara and their um, relationship and how it ends. I think that truly there are no happy car- couples in in joss's universe (laughs) so i can take a little um solace in knowing that you know the fact that she was shot and she and tara died um i I can take some solace in knowing that that kind of tragedy that level of tragedy happened to every character yeah in a relationship on, on the show 
Um, but at the same time, it does kind of cut short the what would have been what could have been for their relationship and looking at those potentials of, you know, w- yeah. what a long term relationship for Willow would have been like. So it's it's an yeah. interesting kind of uh, uh, perspective to put on it. Well, it was a more mature relationship than what she had with Oz. Uh, Oz, oh, definitely. Yeah, Buffy is one of the holes in my uh my geek knowledge. Um, I've only, I've watched like the first season. We're actually, we've, um, we've been running this series on, on the Mary Sue where um, my fellow editor, Rebecca, who's never watched Battlestar Galactica, Mm. watched, watched all of the reboot of Battlestar Galactica and, and recapped it. Um, And that one was really, I think it was really fascinating because there's so many twists and turns in Battlestar Galactica. And so even if you've seen it all, it's very amusing to watch someone struggle with them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we, we've been thinking about what we could do, what would be a good match for that or what would be a good follow up to that. And Buffy is one of the things on our list. um, Yeah. Maybe people would be interested in watching someone struggle with Buffy. Yeah, it would. It, it, that would definitely be interesting. It's it's it, it's been fascinating to me. To it was a show I watched um, early in grad school when I was starting to think about writing about female heroes, yeah. and she's always been sort of one of my favorite heroes. But over my evolution, like I used to not like the last season of it, and I won't give it away since you don't know a lot of what sort of happened. Oh no, like I I know like okay. all of it. Like I, I've never watched or read the Game of Thrones, but I I'm pretty <laughs> but you sure know the stories. I know. Yeah, because <laughs> it's you know it's but the job I have I can't really be picky about spoilers. Right? Yeah, exactly. So in the seventh season, all the potential uh, slayers get empowered by right. um, by magic. Yeah. by magical means. And I always thought that was just kind of like, at first when I watched it, I was like, oh, whatever. This is <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this is such a disappointment from such a great show. Yeah. And then when I stepped back from it a few years later and I watched it again, I'm like, no, this is actually a really good message. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this can be anybody. You can empower your life and that is something that can happen for you. So I could, I could step back and see kind of the broader picture of it. Yeah. Now, so. yeah. Oh, that's my, that's my favorite moral of Batwoman. Mm-hmm. I could talk about Batman, Batwoman woman for for hours but um my favorite moral of batwoman and then i'm also a big fan of renee montoya which there are like five people who are like woo right now and then everybody else is like oh she's that cop from batman animated <laughs> well we've had a great conversation i think that um it's obvious just like when we talked to uh talk to sandy galan we're gonna have to have Susanna back on again i think so too <laughs> The, um, there's there's the too many potential conversations that could, too many potential yeah, directions this could have gone. And yeah, that's, I'm, that's I'm, I'm a good. <laughs> yeah, but that's pretty good because um, the next time we can be topic focused, right. we can we can pick a theme, and that's what we have to do with with Sandy because mm, yeah. it just the conversation is so incredibly rich. But um, uh, Susanna, I'm just I'm glad that we've made the contact, and uh, I hope you've had as much fun as we have because we really oh, want to have you, you back. Yeah, no, yeah. this is fantastic. This is a great awesome. conversation. Well, we really appreciate uh, Susanna Polo from the Mary Sue joining us today. Be sure to leave your comments and questions in the uh, blog post, or you can Twitter and Facebook us, and we'll have Susanna's contact information as well. Go check out the Mary Sue. And thank you guys so much for having me on. It was yeah. our pleasure. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> We often look at current commercials during our gender cells segment. 
Today we're going to mix it up a bit and look at two commercials and an article about how booth babes really don't help sell products. So, Rhonda, where do you think we should start with this? We've got some some great content here. Um, well, I think I'm going to start softball with the um, Chevy Silverado commercial. Okay. I think most people will probably be familiar with uh, the Chevy Silverado a man in his truck and they also have Chevy Silverado and I'm really doing well getting through that Chevy Silverado um a woman in her truck mm-hmm. it's a really nice commercial it is it is really pretty and very just I just really aesthetically pleasing but also has a nice message too well and it's it's very human. It's mm-hmm. very real. Um, she's a very real person um, coming from Tennessee and from Texas. Um, it was just a very familiar sight. It was, wasn't overly sexualized. There was no differentiation between the, there was nothing in the commercial besides the word woman that said specifically, Oh, look, we have a curvaceous, sexy rodeo rider here with a horse. <laughs> it was just, right. A woman, a, a person who does what they do, and she happens to be a woman, and she needs a truck. And I would not be without a truck personally. So now that was well done. Yeah. So can you give um can you give us a little bit of a description of it? Um. Hmm, well, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it basically shows uh, the woman uh, and its um, events and what she's doing, why she has a truck, why she loves her truck, and it's um. Uh, uh, voiced over Mm -hmm. with basically her story. Right. And it shows her, um, I I guess, I don't know whether she's going to a rodeo or whether she's going to a horse show, but um, she's hauling her horses with a horse trailer uh, with a Chevy Silverado pickup truck. Right. So it's got the truck and the horses and Mm -hmm. her, and you see her sort of in these in these situations using the truck as you know yeah as we assume it was intended and she's not assisted by a man right she's she's, do, she's this doing is it on her own her initiative mm-hmm. her goals her agenda yep and that's what makes it really nice i think yeah yeah i agree i agree and i like the song that's playing in the music and like i said mm-hmm. it's a very pretty commercial as well so yeah those were all all good things yeah yeah i think it's home run yes absolutely so the other commercial that we have is an Allstate commercial. Yeah, and I didn't under. You're gonna have to talk to me about this because I don't understand what the problem is. Okay, well it um it's one of these it's a commercial that pops up often for me when I'm watching shows on Hulu Plus. Yeah, and um, I really wish sometimes I knew better why they pick certain commercials for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> So it's uh, two women who are having lunch with each other, and they start this banter over who's going to pay for lunch. And they go back and forth. No, you're not paying this. No, you're not paying this. I'm picking this up. You're letting me pay for this. You know, back and forth and back and forth, kind of, you know, batting who's going to pay back and forth. And then the Allstate spokesman says, you know, let her pay for it. She just got her good driver check and can afford it. Um and the thing that bothers me is the that the whole back and forth about who's going to pay for the check thing as sort of um, pointing to female indecision as a as a stereotype like oh we can't make a decision everybody wants to be polite and i want to be polite and i want to pay for it and you want to pay for it kind of thing i see that as being a stereotype i could be yeah. wrong about that 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to call you on this one, like you did with me with the Crave commercial. <laughs> I really think you. Uh, yeah, I think you're reaching on this one. Oh uh, yeah, I might be. I, I think it just it just kind of the batting back and forth and the you know the way they were looking at each other and it just it just felt. Now that I'll give you condescending because it looked. I mean, I don't understand with with the way that they started looking at each other though. Mm-hmm. It almost though feels. The um, it wasn't genuine. Well, no, it was almost like a mean girl thing started right. going on. Exactly, which is tr- which is genuine. We've talked about that, and we know that there's a yeah. mean girl issue uh, uh, amongst women. Right. But I think it was kind of an ugly view of the woman's situation when, right. when two women are interacting. That yeah, I will give you right. The, and the, then when they, he steps in and says, you know, she's got her good driver check, I think it takes that to the next step because it's like, oh, here she can hold this over you. Uh, yeah, I didn't get that, but I, I, I really don't. You, now that you mention, I really I don't like the way they got all snippy with each other. Exactly. Like, that's that's exactly you know school girl girls in a yard yeah. or something. I mean, yeah. I don't that, know what the point of that, that was. That sort of thing. I, I, I just, every time I see it, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. And I just like, I put the TV on mute and I wait for it to pass over so I can get. See, now I'm going to be annoyed. Good. <laughs> well, I hate insurance companies anyway, so. Well, yeah, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't have a problem with them, um arguing over the check i think it's the way they do it, it makes them yeah. look petty and yeah it just it immature just struck me so you know you know and, and and that's you know that happens there's plenty of times when you're out with your girlfriends but you know it just i've never seen it like Mm-mm. degrade like that so completely and uh, mm. exaggeration of it was just kind of yeah i mean i don't get feisty when when yeah. i i'm debating about paying the bill i don't yeah. i don't get my, you know, my claws don't come out or anything. Yeah, no. That's my claws coming out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now we have sound effects. Uh, the, oh, well, yeah, we don't want to do that. <laughs> well, what what about the article? Now, you sent me the article, and that it, that was really fascinating. Yeah, it was really fascinating. That. So it was an article that was on io9, and the title is Sci- Scientific Evidence That Booth Babes Don't Sell Products. And um, basically, the, the it was a... Um, I can't even remember who it was. It was a what the product was that they were selling, but um, a you know marketing person decided to do an experiment where instead of having booth babes at a at a um, show, they had like grandmas, like older women. <laughs> well, it wasn't just that, right? Right. Uh, that wasn't. I mean, that wasn't even the the real point. It just was perchance they ended up being older women. Well, he asked for them not to be, you know, young. That was one of the things I think. It well, like. he asked for them to be not hot. <laughs> right. Well, no, here, here's the word smoking. He, <laughs> let's see, let's, let's be specific about sure. this. So, um, he flew in professional booth babe talent. So that's what they were uh, specially trained for. And then asked a local agency for a couple of show contractors that knew the local area mm-hmm. and had established people skills. Right, right. And I had to stress a couple of times that I was not looking for contractors whose only attribute was smoking. Was smoking. Yes, yes, exactly. And then he got, once he arrived at the show, he yeah. got calls from the regional sales VP <laughs> because there must be some mistake. 
yes. because there were grandmothers hanging around the booth saying they were part of the team for the week. Yes. So um, uh, I, I thought I thought it was just fascinating. Um, and then he goes on to talk about how, you know, they weren't just older. They one was literally a grandmother. Yes. <laughs> so he just went forward with the um, with the this sort of experiment, this accidental experiment. Um, and the booth that was staff of the babes uh, generated a third of the foot traffic and less than half the leads yes. uh, of the team that had the non-smoking, uh, conversationally adept <laughs> yeah. and well-trained uh, uh, women uh, professionals selling. So basically, the, the conclusion that he came to was, was sort of two-part. Uh, people who are in a good position to do business with your company aren't interested in, hire, in talking to hired models because they actually want to discuss your products. Mm-hmm. And two, women who work as booth babes don't usually have people skills to keep potential buyers interested in your product. So Yeah, and that was interesting because I know that a couple of different things have come up about booth babes. One, I was, I was really pleased that I, I actually read the article and I went, uh-huh, that's, I mean, that's right. Because if I go into Best Buy or if I go into a, a store and I want to talk to someone about technology, I mean, you know, I might be attracted to the salesperson who is more attractive, but if they don't know what they're talking about, that conversation is over. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, that's right. I mean, you are trying to take take these people's money and the the industry that you're working in these people are your customers are smart right right and um, they know what they want and they know what they're looking for from exactly. you exactly so you know getting the attention that which is essentially the the idea you know booth babes attract attention but not from customers not from people who actually want to do business with you exactly so the whole basic idea of booth babes being you know necessary or mandatory to kind of bring in foot traffic no isn't doesn't it, apparently I mean this is it's not like this has been like some real scientific study or something like that it's, no but it's sort of like the but it, they're good examples it's plain as the nose on your face kind right. of thing right this this should be obvious <laughs> well the other the other thing that I think we want to differentiate with is I, I and I believe this is this happened some at E3 but some of the supposed booth babes are actually very well-versed geeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the some of the complaints that the women were having is, oh, well, she's just a booth babe. Right. And it actually is kind of insulting because she's a geek and she knows what's going on and she's intelligent and and th- there's there's a difference here. Right. Well, they're, they're you know, they're, this is not to say that all booth babes are strictly you know, models hired for that sole purpose. Exactly. There, there can vary and are often, you know, very attractive, you know, geeky women. I don't want to ever say that that's not the case. Yeah. Um, or to, you know, to, to discriminate against somebody because they are attractive. They must not know anything about geek culture, but it's there. There are also, I actually did a search today because <laughs> I was uh, just for booth babes. I just searched the term. Oh, oh. Just to see. Because <laughs> I, I throw myself into the fire every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> but what was it? I didn't I didn't do it on Google Images, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just did it in general. Um, oh, I know what it was. I was looking. I was thinking about doing a, a, a quote for the opening of the show about booth babes. Um, so I was looking to like, try to find articles about them. So what was interesting was the number of agencies that came up that um, – were producing models 
that you know are you know yeah. intended to be spectacle yeah. and not intended to be tradesmen at a show who know about the product that's being sold. Yep. Um, and that was like the first six or seven, you know, hits were those kinds of modeling agencies that were, you know, spe- that specialized in trade show booth babes. Yeah. So. Be warned, <laughs> companies. <laughs> it doesn't work. Well, it makes me thankful for, you know, I've, you know, there's lots of things that we, we talk about in terms of, you know, some of the cons and some of the events and, you know, places that have these. I am thankful that some of the cons that we go to do have very strict rules against this kind of um, attention getting tactic. Yeah. So it's nice when that happens. There should be more. There should be more where this is obviously it's not helping them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I hope that the marketing departments, I hope this gets around the article is really, really well written. It is. Yeah. And there's even more. I didn't, I linked to the io9 article because that's the one I read, but you can actually go and read the write up from the, the author who, um, did the experiment so cool. and he's done it more than once so you can check that check that out it's a tech crunch if you want to check that out so well we we love talking about these gender cell commercials um, what marketing is is using or trying to tell you what uh, gender and sexuality is if you've seen any commercials that um, rub you the wrong way and you just don't know why or you want to bring it to our attention be sure and let us know we would love to talk about it You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room, that's R-H-O, R-H-O-O-M, or email Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter and Steam. Huge thanks to Susanna Polo from the Mary Sue for joining us for today's conversation. What a great chat. I mean, yeah. really, just so much information. I loved hearing especially the, the history of the Mary Sue and, and kind of their origins and where they came from because I'm a big fan of their site and I love a lot of what they put out there and I love that the conversations that go on there. So kudos to them. If you don't follow them, check them out on Twitter and Facebook and go to themarysue.com and uh, read up on some great stuff. Um, and don't forget to mark your calendars because International Tabletop Day is April 5th this year. Woo-hoo. So uh, we we both did events last year, right? Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we both did big events last year. So um, you can go to the site and find events near you. If, you. if you don't have a gaming group, a tabletop gaming group, this is a great time to find one because there'll be lots of events going on in lots of different areas. So you can go search. Uh, for something that's going on near you or you can schedule one of your own and uh, find more people that way so support your local game shop get a day going get get an event going and you know let's get it planned check out um meetup because that's oh yeah that's where i have found gaming groups before and uh, they usually meet in public places so it's easy to you know go show up and if it's uh, not your not your thing, not your crowd. You can you can easily leave, yeah, absolutely. and it's it's. Uh, I've found all, tons of them out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Meetup is a good is a good resource for that. We've actually had some fans of the show start meetup groups um, to get to meet new gamers. So mm-hmm. definitely check that out. Episodes of Game on Girl are available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. We also have an app for download available from Podbean for iOS users. These links, along with description of the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, game on! Game on!